Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to read this morning verse 11 down through the end and focus really on the main part of the peacemaker that we have, Jesus Christ. Let's read it together. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built, being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. May God honor the reading of his word. Let's bow together and ask God's blessing. Father, we stand before you today and we acknowledge our own sinfulness, our own weakness, our own failures. And Lord, except for your grace, uh, we would still be running away from you in rebellion. Father, how grateful we are that you sent Jesus Christ, your son, to be the peacemaker and to take all of that hostility, all of the barriers, all of the brokenness, and disperse that and in its place plant peace. So, Father, we pray today that we might be people that love peace and pursue peace and preserve peace and restore peace. So we ask, Lord, that you will direct us as we uh, look at this passage together today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, let me just say as we begin, uh, I have not been in the pulpit since I had my stroke on July 4th and I uh, lost my wife not long after that. And on Thursday, Pastor Logan called and said, is there any way that you can do the sermon on Sunday? And I said, any way that I can help, I'm glad to do that. And, uh, and so I am glad to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to address you, recognizing, of course, my, my own weaknesses, my own failures, the struggles that we all go through. And so today I am very dependent upon the Spirit of God directing the path that we go in this message. 
There are so many more things to say about peace than we can begin to say, but I really want to say, share with you what God put on my heart as encouragement to you that we do have the peacemaker. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And when I think of peacemaking, I think of the opposite of that, of, of those who disturb the peace, of, of troublemakers. You know, and I, I thought back through this, you know, uh, my parents, uh, during their lifetime, the, the point at which the peace of our nation was really disturbed was Pearl Harbor. Uh, you remember uh, uh, the day of infamy, everything changed. We entered into World War II. In my generation, it was the assassination of Robert Kennedy. You know, and when that happened, I remember sitting in class, I think I was a junior in high school, and all kinds of questions came up. For my children's generation, it was 9-11. Uh, we were in New York City pastoring at that point, and in fact, uh, this past week, I reconnected with one of the men in our church. His name is Rich. Uh, he was actually in the bank building right across from the Twin Towers when it collapsed. And only by the grace of God did he survive. And he sent me one of the pictures of what that looked like afterwards. And you would not believe that anyone would survive. And I remember us going down to uh, that area, the, the Twin Towers, and just seeing the devastation and destruction. There was no peace there. And in fact, he was the one that actually found the, uh, 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 the passport of one of the terrorists. And they were able to track him later and find out who he was. And he saw some horrible things that day. And I remember how that just brought that turmoil in his life. I think maybe of uh, uh, the current generation, maybe it's COVID, you know, and all the disruption and the lack of peace. And so, you know, the reality is we live in a world, you know, we live in a community. We saw the parade turn ugly this past week. Uh, that's happening time and time again. Where is peace? You know, how do we find peace? How do we preserve peace? How do we enjoy peace within? And so uh, today I want to take this passage from Ephesians 2, and while we can't cover everything that's in the passage, I want to pull out that statement, especially where it says, He is our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. And I want to take some time to help you appreciate all that's in, in, uh, uh, involved and, and uh, is part of that sense of Christ not only making peace, but actually himself being peace. And that word peace, the word shalom, many of you are familiar with the word shalom. If you greet somebody in the streets of Jerusalem, you'll say, Mashlomka, how is your peace? You know, on Sabbath day, they'll say Shalom Shabbat, you know, a peaceful Sabbath to you. And so it's important that we understand what this is all about. When the scripture is talking about in the Old Testament, it's Shalom. In the New Testament, it's Irene. Uh, in fact, you've probably uh, heard uh, when somebody has an ironic tone, you know, it's a peaceable tone. If they have a polemic tone, it's kind of they want to have a fight with you, okay? And so it, the, the concept in the old and the new really overlap. And so the idea of peace is not just an absence of conflict. 
It's much, much richer than that. It really means completeness. It has a sense of wholeness. It has a sense of health and of soundness, of tranquility, of fullness, of normalcy. It is a very, very, very rich word. And so what we're told in this passage in Ephesians 2, in uh, verse uh, 14, he himself is our peace. I'd like for us to camp out on that. What does that mean? He himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace. And as I thought about that, I couldn't help go back. Throughout the Old Testament, we constantly have the promise that a peacemaker is coming. And in fact, I went back to the passage in, uh, you remember the passage in Isaiah chapter 9, where it says, uh, a child is born to us, that is the humanity of the Messiah. A son is given to us. That's the deity of the Messiah. And it says, uh, and uh, the government is going to rest on his shoulders. And then you remember what it says? He's going to have a name. He's, his name is going to be called, and then we have four couplets. And the first of those, he's going to be called Pella Yoates. He's going to be called the Wonderful Counselor. And then, I like the second one, he's going to call El Gibur. El is the word for God. We have the word Elohim that comes from that. Gibor is the strong one. That this peacemaker is El Gibor, God himself. This peacemaker is called Aviad. That is the father, uh, some translations have everlasting father. I think the better translation of that is the father of a new age. He is going to bring in the whole new covenant. That is what this passage in Ephesians 2 is about. And then you know the last one? He will be called Sar Shalom, the prince of peace. And so we want to think today, what does that mean that he is going to be the Prince of Peace. And you remember, if you go to Luke chapter 1 and look at the passages surrounding the birth of Christ, the angel appears to Mary and says she's going to have a son and he is going to have a kingdom that will never end. It ties right back to what he said in Isaiah chapter 9. In Luke chapter 2, when the shepherds hear the angels proclaiming, you remember what they said? Glory to God on high, peace on earth. Uh, and this sense of, of peace is because the peacemaker is in the very process of arriving. You remember when they took Jesus into the temple uh, to follow the requirements for uh, the purification, they meant Simeon. Simeon is an old man, and in fact, they often call uh, in the Latin term nunc dimittis. Now let my servant depart in peace, because my eyes have seen your salvation. What a powerful statement. Simeon is saying, now I can rest in shalom, because my eyes have seen your salvation, as he picked up the Christ child. And then Anna. You know, this is the one that was looking for the consolation of Israel. And there was a sense that this one that's coming is the Messiah 
that has been promised, the Messiah that is going to finally establish peace. As you go through the Old Testament, it is defeat, you know, it is problems, it is evil kings, it's being taken out of their land and taken to another place. It, it's not a happy sight. And their hope always was the Messiah is going to come. And when the Messiah comes, we're going to experience peace. He somehow is going to bring peace. And of course, you know, the fact is, many of them were disappointed because they were looking for the kind of peace that was going to run all the Romans out of town. And they were going to take that over. But his idea of peace was much deeper, much richer, much more profound than that. He's going to come and he, in, in fact, is going to plant peace. In fact, I love what he says in John's Gospel, in John 14 and John 15. Both of those talk about the fact that he's going to come and he's going to give peace. He's going to give peace to us, not like the world gives, but a peace that's unique to him. Uh, uh, he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but I'm going to give you peace. You know, and I've overcome the world. I don't know if you can resonate with that, but what part of our nation do you look at today that you see shalom? Do you see it in the political realm? You know, do you see it in the educational realm with the critical pedagogy and all that's going on there? Do you see it in the media? Do you see it on our movie and our television? Is there a sense that all is well, all is harmonious, all is whole, no, we have the sense of, of division and strife. And so in this passage, as you look at uh, uh, the Ephesians 2 passage, we're going to walk through that together. In verse 11, uh, very often it's helpful to ask some basic questions. What and who and how and when and so forth. And that really ha helps us in this passage what is the problem? Where is the trouble here? And he's going to tell us in verse 11. And he's going to say, you know this, that is the Gentiles, the nations that are there, the pagan nations. Uh, he then gives a list and he says, at that time, you were without Christ, without a Messiah. Okay, he's painting the picture of those outside the covenant community, the nations of the world, they were without Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth, from the citizenship of Israel. Uh, they were strangers of the covenants of promise, the covenants to Abraham and to David, to Moses and so forth throughout the Old Testament. Uh, they had no peace they were lacking that. And he says that they were atheoi, they were without God in this world. Now, that's what it was before. But then he's going to say, but now, those of you that were far away, you were aliens, you were outsiders, now you have been brought near. Now, I want you to notice the words here. You've been brought near. How? Because you've uh, paid a big price, because you've accomplished something, because you belong to a certain group. You notice what he says in this text? Uh, he's going to say, you've been brought near by the blood 
of Jesus Christ. Friends, listen to me. Peace was not an easy thing to secure. You know, Peter says it's not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's going to take a sacrifice in order to establish the peace that Jesus came to provide. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, and he is our peace. Not only did he come to bring peace, but think of this. He, in fact, is peace embodied. If you want peace, if you want to experience peace, it's going to be found in the one who gives peace, and that is in Jesus Christ. And what he's going to say, the amazing thing that he does, you know, we have racial tensions today of all kinds of of differences, but they had the issue then. The Jew and the Gentile, there was a, a barrier that they just didn't cross. And that was the problem, that was the trouble that Jesus came to address. And so what does the text say? That he is our peace, he made both one. Both what? Both groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. Before, you remember, Jews wouldn't eat with Gentiles because of kosher food laws, because of circumcision, because of Sabbath day, with all of the various things. So there was this division between them. And Jesus said, enough. He came for the purpose of bringing together these two and making peace. And so it says that he is our peace who made both one. And I love what he said. He broke down the barrier, the wall that divided them. So no longer is there this big fence that keeps them apart, but in its place now, he is going to bring them together And he actually uses the phrase, destroying the law of commandments and dogma. Now, lots are included there. We don't have time to unpack that. But what it's saying is those things in the law that destroyed them, he has removed those things. And by doing that, listen to what it says he did. And and he created out of the two one new man. That is the church of Jesus Christ. That's a fellowship of God's people. There's no longer insiders and outsiders. There's no longer circumcised and uncircumcised. The the various barriers that we put financially, the rich and the poor, or the educated and the uneducated, or the well-connected socially, or those not well-connected, none of those things matter anymore. Because what Jesus did, he destroyed those, and he made both of them one. And I love the phrase, making peace. He didn't just offer peace. He actually made it. He accomplished it by the sacrifice of himself. And notice how he goes on to say that, reconciling. What happens when two people are you know, in, in conflict with one another? You try to find a way to reconcile them, to restore them, so they can communicate in freedom, so that they can communicate in love. And what he did, he didn't just come to bring them together, he came to reconcile them. That's the heart of the gospel. See, our big problem was not Pearl Harbor, you know, or the assassination of John Kennedy, or 9-11, or COVID. Our real problem is with God. 
We have a holy God, and we're not holy. And in fact, sin has divided us, and that's what Jesus came to address. It wasn't the Romans that were abusive. You know, it wasn't just the, the uh, legalists, the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the so forth that were corrupt and abusing that. The problem went deeper than that. And friends, listen to me. That's our problem, too. Our problem isn't primarily with our health. Our problem isn't primarily with the, you know, we got to do our taxes before long. And we go through all of that. Our problem isn't primarily our boss and worksite problem. Listen to me. Our problem is we have a holy God who has said to us that we are to walk before him perfectly and our hearts are stained with bitterness, with pride, with fear, with everything else. And the question becomes, what do we do about that? And the reality is we can't do anything about that. You can't instantly change the disposition of a heart opposed to God and decide now you're going to be the friend of God. In fact, the peacemaker must do that. And I want to tell you, I'm so grateful that 60-some years ago, uh, God did that in my life. And I've been able to spend the years of my life on this planet not perfect, but forgiven. You know, one that has received the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. And it's been my delight through those years to be able to proclaim this and to teach it and to counsel it and share it with other people. It's always a privilege to be able to stand and tell you not about myself, not what I know, not the experience that I've had. I want to point you to one thing, and that is to the peacemaker. My experiences won't change you, but the peacemaker can change you. I can't bring about reconciliation where there's brokenness, but Jesus Christ can. And so we come to this passage and we love it because it points us to him. He's going to reconcile both in one body, and I love what it says, killing the enmity. He is going to crush the enmity. You know what it's like when you're at a picnic, you know, and the ant is crawling on your plate, and what do you do? You exercise dominion. You know, you wipe them out. Friends, listen, that's what Jesus Christ did with sin. He came with his blood. He wiped that out. That is what this is a celebration of, killing the enmity of that. And then he goes on to say, and I love this part, he says, and now he is preaching peace to those that are far off, and he's preaching peace to those that are near. Jews and Gentiles are all included in one. And you know what word he uses when he says he's preaching peace? It's the word, you angelizomai. You know what the English word is, evangelism. Angel is a messenger. You, angel, is a good messenger. You angelizomai is to tell the good news. And the good news is that God has sent a Messiah 
to address the trouble that we can't fix on our own that is the depth of our sin and our rebellion to him. And so Jesus came not only as the peace, he came not only to make peace, but he came to evangelize, to tell the good news of peace that's been accomplished in Jesus Christ. And so he says, because he's done that and he's brought us together in one, we both have access to the Father, you know, through one spirit. And you're going to see that this peacemaking process involves the Father and the Son and the Spirit of God. It's always Trinitarian. The Father sent the Son. The Son comes. The Spirit enables him to do that. And so he says what he's done now, he's taken the Gentiles and the Jews, and he's placed them together as one new man, and so that both of them would have access to the Father by this one Spirit. And I love the picture that he gives us here. Now, therefore, he says, you're no longer, verse 19, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners, but you're citizens. You know, you're the household of God. The whole concept of adoption. Jesus is the unique Son of God. But everyone that turns from their sin and crusts Christ, what do they become? They become an adopted son. And we have a portion to everything that belongs to the son. Whatever he has, we have. We're not outsiders anymore. We're insiders. We're on the inside of this. And he goes on to say, and He's going to build this on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the foundation on which the church is built. You're Peter. On Peter, I'm going to build my church. Lots of controversy through the years with Roman Catholicism as to what that means. But the foundation is Christ is going to build his church on the apostles and the prophets. Those were the foundation stones. And then this thing is going to grow together. You know, and look at the church of Jesus Christ and it has grown globally around the world as they've grown together and grown up in Christ. And I love what he says at the end. And we've become a habitation of God, a place where God lives by his spirit. Now, friends, listen to me. We have peace because there's a peacemaker and he's the one that brought peace to our heart. And he brought us together with other people who have experienced that same peace. So that together we're a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. My hope today is not that you'll go away and say, I remember Gary said this. My hope today is you'll go away and recognize that God has been in this place. That his son, Jesus Christ, has been in this place as we praised him in song, as we prayed to him, as we looked at his word. That you'll feel the sense that God's spirit is here. No man can preach without the spirit of God. It takes the spirit of God. We can't sing without the spirit. We can't pray without the spirit. We can't worship. We need the spirit of God to be here in our midst taking this word so it's not just you know echoing bouncing around in your head 
But you know what the Spirit does? He takes that and He pierces our heart. So we're hearing God speak to us. Friends, listen to me. I want to encourage you to pursue that peace that He offers you and receive the peace that He holds out to you. Now, let me try to expand on this just a, a, a little bit more in terms of the, the, the peace that we're talking about. Uh, this peacemaker, I love this part. You know what he does with peace? He doesn't just offer it to us. You know, he just doesn't suggest that we consider it. Uh, it's kind of like uh, uh, recently I had to uh, go to the hospital for an MRI, whatever that means, and they had this stuff they wanted to put in my body. They didn't suggest it. You know, they didn't offer it. They didn't let me choose whether it would be raspberry or strawberry or chocolate. You know what they did? You know, they just jabbed a hole in my arm and dumped it in. Friends, listen to me. That's what Jesus Christ does. When a person comes to faith, he takes that peace and he implants that in the new birth. Remember what Paul said in, in Romans 5, that since we're justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God. A friend, I can't tell you how thrilled I am in spite of the fact that there may be tension points and other points in my life, that I have peace with God. It's not something that I created. It's not something that I sipped. It's not something that I took in a straw. It's something that God implanted by His Spirit. And He breathes life into us. I tell you, one of the great burdens of my heart are the number of people sitting in churches today that believe they're part of the family of God and they, you know, they sing the songs, they throw in a few dollars in the offering plate, they serve in the parking lot duty from time to time, but they've never had this peace implanted by the Spirit of God. Friend, the issue is not whether you're in church today. The issue is whether you're in Christ today. Has He planted this peace in your heart has he taken you know, all of the, the, uh, of the trouble, the anxiety, the fear, the, the bitterness, and all of that? Has he taken that and, and, and just injected that and planted that in your heart? That's my prayer today. I, I hope that you're not satisfied with a glimpse of peace or even a whiff of it that you can smell it or even dabbing it on the end of your tongue so you can taste it. I tell you, friends, you don't need a taste of peace. You need this thing actually implanted in you by a gracious work of God through Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God who opens your heart to receive that. And friend, when that happens, you'll be forever changed. You're going to be one of the children of peace. And you know what he does with those people where he's implanted that peace? He puts them together in a fellowship with other people who have that peace implanted. And now we have an opportunity to be a community of peace. You remember Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Now, he doesn't say create that unity. We can't. You know, only he can do that. But when he implants life in our heart, and he implants life in this one and that one and brings them together, there in the midst is this community of peace that we make every effort to preserve it. We can't create it, but we can protect it and preserve it. In the last six months, I've gone over Hebrews chapter 12 probably a hundred times. I love that passage of Scripture. There's so many things in there that speak to me. But there's one verse that has come back to me again and again where it says, make every ever make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Well, holiness, no one will see the Lord. The peace isn't automatic. If you've had peace implanted, and Fred and Sally and Sue and John and Ralph have all had that implanted, does that automatically mean you're going to be at peace? No. There are lots of problems that can come up that destroy that. And so peace is something we not only receive, but it's something we cultivate. In fact, one of the reasons I focused on looking at this passage is because I'm doing a Sunday school class on one anothering. And what we're looking at today in our Sunday school class was be at peace with one another. There's about six times that we're told that in the scripture. And I thought, you know, this is really on my heart. How do we cultivate that peace? You know, that's a precious gift from God. We don't want to let it escape. We want to preserve it. Not only culture it and nurture it, we want to preserve that. That's what Hebrews is talking about. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. You know, Paul will say the same thing. At times that peace is disturbed. Conflict comes up. You know, differences, issues, battles come up. And that's the point at which we restore the peace. And God's given us the resources so we actually go back and restore a peace that's been broken. I said in our class today, when your car breaks down and won't start, you don't throw it out and go buy a new one. You get the battery replaced, or you get the module replaced that won't let the car start, or you get a, a new uh, accelerator, whatever it might be that your car needs, you don't throw it out. You know, it's often been said that Christians are guilty of the ones that are most likely to shoot their own wounded. Friends, listen, we're all wounded. They're all parts of our life that need grace and forbearance and encouragement. What a wonderful thing if the Spirit of God would work in such a way that rather than focus on the weakness and magnify it, we come alongside to surround them and minimize that and value them as part of this community of peace. I've had the opportunity, uh, some of you perhaps know that our son Gary Jr. Uh, has some special needs and he goes to a group called Exceptional Humans. And uh, they invited me to come and do there what I'm doing in our Sunday school class. Now again, it's not a Christian setting, so can't do it the same way. But I had a chance to go this week for the first time and be able to share the sense of unity that comes from the gospel and talk about that. And the next time I go there, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be taking uh, a number of woodworking tools, a hammer, you know, and a ruler, and a saw, and so forth, and saying, 
Okay, now, which one of these is more important? You know, is the hammer the king? You know, is it the saw? Is it the level? You know, is it the plumb line? What is most important? And the reality is it depends on what you're trying to do. You know, if you are nailing two boards together, saw is not very helpful. But a hammer is not very helpful if you're trying to cut a board in two. You know, and the reality is God made each of us as different tools. He's gifted me to preach and to teach the Word of God. And he's gifted some of you to be helpers. He's gifted others to be administrators. He's gifted others uh, to be reconciled. Each of us have something to add to the body of Christ. Every single person has a gift. Friends, use that gift in order to nurture and to preserve and to restore that. And friend, I, I want to tell you something else. This is a piece that we need to celebrate. We need to recognize what's there. We just had a big celebration for somebody's the Super Bowl champions. What team was that? Now I kind of forget. We have a big celebration. How is it that we don't celebrate the peace that we have with Christ and that we can share with one another? And that's what we do when we sing praises, you know, every Sunday morning. But I want to encourage you, man, this is something that you need to celebrate. And we need to do what Jesus is doing. We need to preach this peace. We need to tell people about this peace. And we often do it by the kind of life that we live in, demonstrating that we are people who've been changed by the power of the gospel and now we want other people to become part of this community of peace. Is that your heart today? Then by preserving this peace, we're going to do some of that. Think for a moment of what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, I want to suggest that we often talk about the peace with God. That's what happens when we come to faith and we're reconciled to him. And then a moment ago, we were talking about peace with the people of God, living together as a community of peace that is going to proclaim that. But I want you to think about something else, and that is the peace of God that's in your own heart. And I really want to challenge you to think about this. We often don't want to look deep into our own hearts. And I tell you, God will bring some things into your life that can make you pay attention. We've had some of those things happen in the last year. And to realize all of the things on the outside won't quiet a conscience, a heart on the inside that's in turmoil, that's spinning. And Jesus came not just to make peace between Jew and Gentile. Jesus came not just to implant peace into your heart. He came not just so that you'll be at peace with one another. He came so that you would have peace in your own heart toward him. That it would be, your heart would be quiet. It would be at rest. It would have the sense of harmony, the sense of fullness. 
you know, and, and throughout uh, uh, the, the New Testament, we find these statements about uh, uh, the peace that is within. I want to encourage you, don't take that for granted. Recognize what God has done. Has he planted his peace within? Do you have the peace of God? Remember the passage in Philippians where it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, with supplication, let your request be made known to God. And what does it say? The peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's what I want to have. I want to be at peace with you. I want to be at peace with God. But I want to have that kind of peace in my heart that when these personal struggles come along, that there is a quietness in my soul that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks and the Spirit of God nurtures and the fellowship of God's people encourage. There is this sense of, of, of a quietness, a, a, a peace in our heart that we can't do on our own. Uh, it, it takes the grace of God to do that. And there are things that we can do to uh, uh, strengthen that or decrease that. Uh, I want you to think of another verse. It says in Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. I am not big on making New Year's resolutions. Uh, it's been years since I could say I made one. But I did make a New Year's resolution this year. And the New Year's resolution was essentially this, that I would not let all the trouble in the world that's around me that you can't escape day by day, nor the personal problems and difficulties that I face, I'm not going to let that get my attention and my energy. Instead, what I want to do is I want to stay focused on the beauty of the Lord. I want to stay focused on the kind of God that would send his son, the kind of son that would come into this world. Can you imagine what it's like to leave the glory of heaven and become a human being? Yeah, and if we think that's amazing, you know what's even more amazing? That the Spirit of God would come and indwell in us with all of this filth, all of this disobedience, all of the hardness of heart, if, if Jesus had a hard time coming down, you know, to be in the midst of humanity, imagine what it's like for the Spirit of God that constantly is working on the inside with all of the junk that's going on. And what's he doing? He's in there and he's shaping us and he's molding us, and he's removing the sin, and he's pointing us back to Christ. When I first became a Christian, the only Bible that people used was the King James Bible. Not only the King James Bible, but the Schofield version of the King James Bible. Some of you may remember those days. And so many of the things I memorized were in King James. And there's some verses I refuse to change, and one of those is the one in Galatians. Remember where he says, I'm crucified with Christ. Boy, stop and let that sink in. I'm when Christ was crucified, I was crucified with him. 
When he was buried, I was buried with him. When he was raised, I was raised with him. Think about this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Wait a minute, crucified people don't live. The purpose of crucifixion is to end life. But he's saying, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But what does he say? Christ is living in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, friends, that's a whole lot better for the peace of my heart than listening to the latest uh, uh, podcast from uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, you know, or from Ukraine and Gaza and from all of the stuff that's going on in the world. It's not that we should be unaware, but that doesn't deserve our heart and our attention. This deserves our heart and attention. You know, the one whose mind is stayed on God that's where peace is going to come. You know, and I want a heart that is saturated with peace because it's going to be so easier for me to cause trouble. You know, trouble will erupt. I need that in there. And, and I have to tell you, I just really blessed. I, I see ways that God has answered that prayer in ways that I would never have imagined, in ways he's helping me to see the beauty and the glory of that. Friend, peace isn't automatic. He plants that peace, but the peace of God needs to be nurtured. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be protected. It needs to be treasured. I don't have time this morning to go to another section I wanted to talk about, what disordered peace looks like and what we can do to compromise our peace and what we can do to preserve it. Let me just give you a quick summary so I can bring this to a conclusion. Let me tell you how you can lose the peace that Christ has implanted. You can do that with a cold heart by flirting with the world. I still remember the first year or two that we were married. Ann and I went to buy carpets. We were in Philadelphia then. And there was a, a, a nice young lady who was helping us buy the carpet. And uh, uh, I got home and Ann would hardly talk to me. I said, what's wrong? You were flirting with her. I said, I didn't even think about her. She may have been flirting with me, but I didn't have anything to do with this. And I tell you, but doesn't that happen? How many marriages have gone sour because you start looking for something better, something more exciting, something more, put whatever you want in there. And friends, let me tell you, your peace is going to go south. If you start flirting with the world and the stuff that this world has to offer, remember James says you can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world. It's either one or the other. Friends, don't let your heart wander. You know, don't be drawn in by the empty promises. How about pride? Pride is good for peace, right? I'm peaceful and I'm proud of it. I'm going to let you know that. It's a killer. Pride is going to kill that. You know what I'm sensitive to? What I do to grieve and quench and resist and, and insult the Spirit of God. In fact, uh, John Bunyan, uh, how many of you ever read any of John Bunyan's books? How many of you read Pilgrim's Progress? 
That was the most printed book ever in English history. You know what his best book was? The Holy War. How many have read The Holy War? Any hands? I'll tell you what, I love The Holy War because you know what it's a picture of? It's a picture of the battle that's going on in your own heart and how sin's going to take that over and going to destroy that peace. And it's going to take the work of grace again to come and recover that. And the point of that is that because of that sin, it drove the Spirit of God away, and it's not easy to get that back. Friends, we need the presence of the Spirit to preserve and nurture this peace. We can neglect the Word of God. That's going to kill your peace. I don't know what I'd do without the fact, and, and I, I still have it uh, probably in the front of my Bible. Uh, I have it someplace. I have a, a little card that I've been using for 50 years. Now, I've had a few cards now in that time. In reading through the Scripture and just letting the Word of God saturate my heart, friends, that's what you need to have the peace of God. Let the Word of God dwell richly inside about prayerlessness you want to kill peace stop talking to god the word is listening to god prayers talking god you want the peace to dry up stop talking to god but in fact you can cultivate peace by walking in the spirit by remaining in the vine attached to the vine in fellowshipping with the saints in uh, obedience and prayer and accountability and nurturing the Spirit of God. Friends, my desire for you is that you will uh, nurture this peace that God has given you, that you're going to find a joy in that. Now listen, I want to say one final thing before I conclude, and this is it, I promise you, no more and zipper butts after this. I'm concerned that there may be some of you here that have a signed truce with God. You got a truce. You're not going to do this and this as long as he won't take away your children or your car or your, your income. Friends, God doesn't make truces. God implants peace. And it may be that you've been deceived into thinking this truce that I've drawn up is good enough. Friends, it's not good enough. You don't need a truce. You don't need a ceasefire. You need the peacemaker to come and plant peace. And then for the Spirit of God to come and to nurture that peace. And for you then to be able to share that peace with those that are around you. Friends, listen, the peace of God has been secured at the cross. And I want to encourage you if the best that you have is a ceasefire, take another step today and receive the peace that Jesus Christ gives. And if you've received that peace, but your heart is struggling and in turmoil, and every one of us has those issues, I want to tell you there's a way that you can renew that peace and preserve that peace and celebrate that peace. And friends, it's not about things we do. It's about the peacemaker. Jesus Christ is the peace. He made peace through his blood. 
And now he's given us the Spirit, so we're going to be a dwelling place in which God lives through his Spirit. We're going to come to the table of the Lord in just a moment. Let me encourage you. You know, as you come to the table of the Lord, we often focus on examining the weak parts, the failures, and that's exactly right. But there's another part. Let's today take some time to celebrate the fact that we're not at war with God. We're not his enemy. We don't have to be afraid of that great white throne judgment. We're friends because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Let's celebrate the peace that he's graciously given to us. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge that in so many ways we are uh, very skilled at disrupting the peace, of stirring up trouble, of uh, uh, fomenting bitterness or anger or division. Father, how grateful we are that you did not leave this problem of, of turmoil and, and alienation to us to fix. But Lord, how we thank you that you fixed it by sending the peacemaker, Sar Shalom, the one who not only brings peace, but is peace. Lord, how I pray that uh, if there are any here today that uh, have never really come to experience that peace, Lord, through our witness, even in the table of the Lord, might they come to faith in Christ. And Lord, for those that know you, know you, Father, I pray they wouldn't be satisfied with just no open conflict, but they wouldn't be satisfied until the peace flows within as the song that we just sang, it is well with my soul that your peace flows into it. Lord, would you do that? Lord, would you help us to encourage one another with that peace? Lord, we come to you today and we ask that you would enable us not only to be those who enjoy and celebrate that peace, but those who extend that peace and become a peacemaker to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.